Hi, and good afternoon. This is Andel Banks, the host of Wish Upon a Star. Wish Upon a Star is a dynamic radio program spotlighting talent in the arts arena with discussions of the challenges and some advice in making it in the visual, musical, literary, painting, and performing arts. As a unique part of the show, we will interview professional guests, experts in the fields of community development programs, entertainment law, copywriting, studio recording, publishing, and promoters. Today, ladies and gentlemen, this is a one-time, first-time, I won't say one-time, guest that I've had. And when I don't know much about the career of a guest, I use the underlining question as a research topic. And my underlining question today for my guest was, just what makes people laugh? Because he is Rickle Shackleford, comedian, let me make you laugh. Now, I wanted to know just what makes people laugh. How and why does comedy influence the social and political landscape as well? History tells us the origin of the term comedy is found in ancient Greece, known as komoadia, comedy, which refers to any work generally intended to be humorous by inducing laughter, especially in stand-up comedy. The Greeks described it as two opposing societies, one of laughter and the other of a frown. Like the mask that we see in comedy theater form. The two groups culminating in what they call a society of youth and a society of old. But today, comedians use this form of comedy in their satire of political jokes, screwball jokes, and romantic jokes. We are familiar with the one-liner jokes. It's a hard business. And today, ladies and gentlemen, Ricky Shackelford Ford says he is the real deal when it comes to comedy. Let me give you his background. Ricky Shackelford began captivating people with his unique style of comedy and sense of humor in Seattle, Washington. His specialty is improvisation and audience participation. Ricky Shackelford prides himself on his professionalism and his performance, being adaptable to audience of all ages in mainstream and elsewhere. Not only has Ricky brought smiles to thousands of faces all over the world, he proudly served in the armed forces from 1981 to 1984. He has headlined for the USO tour in 2002 in Saudi Arabia, Iraq, and Afghanistan for our troops. He headlines annually in Las Vegas at the Edgewater Casino and Resort, and performed live for four years in Ocean City, Maryland, at the Princess Royale Hotel and Resort from 2006 through 2010, doing three shows per night. Ricky recently completed a tour in May to July 2012. He went to Idaho, performing at the Varsity Pub in Oregon at Three Rivers Casino and Resort, and in Washington at Jack Diddley's Comedy Club. Throughout the years, Ricky has performed at many comedy clubs, such as the Comedy Factory in Baltimore, Maryland, the Comedy Zone in North Carolina, the Comedy Blast in Pennsylvania, and the Improv in Pennsylvania. As a seasoned comedian, Ricky loves to see people laugh. His motto is, let me make you laugh. 
He has worked with many entertainers, such as Patti LaBelle, the OJs, Tommy Davidson, comedian Hamburger, and Monique. That's just to name a few. A veteran comic of 30 years, born in Baltimore, Maryland, where he is known as the godfather of comedy. Ricky Shacklefield, welcome to the show. How you doing? How you doing, Andrew? This is um, Ricky, the real deal, Shackleford, um, Baltimore's godfather. Um, I'm glad to you guys invited me to the show. Uh, I don't know what time it is there, but it's 2 o'clock here, and I got up at 5 o'clock. I'm ugly in the morning. I'm just, just morning there, and where you at? What time is it where you at, sweetie? It's 2 o'clock. It's two, oh, you in Baltimore, too? Eastern Standard. Yeah, I'm in Baltimore today. Yes. I thought you told me this thing was out of California. <laughs> yeah, the, the, yeah, it is. It is. I'm just trying to keep it alive. Don't pay me no mind. I'm in a great mood. Okay. Movie, All right. Well, our engineers are in California. Right, right, right. Okay, yeah, let's get started. Basically, like I was saying, is that this is the first time, ladies and gentlemen, I have had a comedian on this show. I feel honored because I have seen him perform, and he's just terrific. But what I really want to do, Ricky, is to go into the nitty-gritty for you have been so great, because I know that's a hard task to make people laugh. So I'll let well, you sir. begin by telling our audience the passion and maybe the person that influenced you to take on this challenging career. Well, you wouldn't believe this, Andell. Um, 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 I was a, I was a class clown in school, and uh, I knew it was always something different with me. But a lot of the influences that I had in this uh, comedy business was back in the day. I used to watch the uh, the Flip Wilson show. I would watch oh, yeah. uh, Bill Cosby, Bill Cosby show. Um, I watched um, Sanford and Son with Red Fox, and and my idol back then also when I really got into this business was Richard Pryor. He uh, Richard Richard took me from being a virgin to being a dangerous comedian, <laughs> 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 and I learned uh, and I learned those tools from those guys because uh, with black comedy back in those days we didn't have a lot of comedy clubs to work out of. Other than right. the chitlin circuits, they call you know, but right, those was those was my influencement. So uh, here I am today, thirty years and plus, and still going. You know, excellent, excellent, because that's where you had to probably start, and then you kept with it when you began this enormous journey, Ricky. What were some of the hurdles you encountered, and how you overcame them to get to this progressive stage? Well, you know, uh, the basic the basic hurdles for me, and, and I want to make make it clear, wasn't a hurdle because this is something I enjoyed doing. I uh, uh-huh. actually had a yeah, I had a business sense. I was raised. Most kids today ain't raised. My, my mama raised me. My mother didn't believe in no time out. Okay, and with the with the discipline that she installed in me, it made me the the person that I am today because. You know, I always had the passion for, uh, I'm a basic people's person, so it was easy for me. And I never saw the, the hurdles to comedy. I just saw the enjoyment that I'm doing something different that a lot of people can't do, okay? Uh, I was a basic athlete growing up in the, as a kid, but I knew that I wasn't going to be seven foot tall either. I knew I wasn't going to be six five, but I always had that gift I had that gift of gab, is what I'm trying to say, you know? And you turned it into something that everybody enjoys. Okay, I'm an artist, and lots of times you say, well, I'm an artist. What kind of artist do I want to be? What kind of, uh, well, what was your beginning mission to reach your goal, to make it in the comedy arena? Did you want to go to the movies? Did you, uh, but you want to do what you're doing now? I'm keeping it real with you. When I first started comedy, um, I, I just looked at it as a hobby and having fun, uh, never thinking okay. of the business end. I uh, wasn't thinking of the business end, more thinking about the enjoyment, the passion for people. I was always likable, but then to pick up a microphone and make people laugh, it just made me more popular than likable, you know, because I, I came up with this stick, Ricky, the real deal, 
because I'm the same person on stage as off stage. Uh, mm-hmm. And I use that, use that in my stand-up because, you know, it, it's a lot of tools to work in the stage. You know, when you see comedians up there, it looks easy, but uh, it takes a lot of cleaning. Uh, I've been through it, and, and that's why I say there was no hurdles because I enjoyed the ride, you know. Uh, I was, I've always been, you know, solo. I was always the type of person just rolled by myself. Uh, that I didn't need a crowd to, 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 to solidate me and to make me who I am. Uh, uh, I was always an individual that wanted goals, and uh, and comedy was something that was some goals that I, I knew that I could do, but I knew it was going to take some work to get there, you know? Yeah, and uh, you did a great job because we can just look around and say it's not that big even though they say it's maybe three or 4,000 comedians in the United States of America. But they don't all get to the stage that, or area that you are. You probably had some collaboration with many people, and you have traveled uh, to many cities. What were some of the notable experiences or memorable experiences at this stage of your uh, comedian journey? Well, you know, I want to give my hometown a little props, first of all, Baltimore, where I started um, my stand-up. And I remember um, me first getting on stage, opening up for this um, uh, act from Washington, D.C., named uh, Gene Cons. Gene Cons was a very uh, classy uh, entertainer, and and I just loved the way people gravitated towards her because she was was a class act. But I'm using her for an example because... You know, uh, down the road, uh, my comedy didn't just start from comedy clubs. My comedy started from nightclubs, like, you know, live bands. You know, I opened uh-huh. up a lot of live bands. So I had the, I'm more of a, I'm on a, a, a basically all the round entertainer, not just doing stand up and material. I basically sing, I basically do impressions. So, that's oh. part of what I picked up from being in the business with, with live entertainment, such as uh, Gene Cons and Patti LaBelle, uh, the OJs. So um, I'm an all-around entertainment. You won't be bored when you watch me. I can tell you that now. Um, oh, excellent. And that's a good point that our audience may take notice to, that most of the people who are either, even if they're in theater or in movies, they know how to do a lot of things. They know how to dance. Because I was surprised with one of the wives on Moving On Up. She was dancing, and she could sure. really dance. So that's a good point to to put in there, what you just said, that you need to know how to do a lot of things in order for you to be a standout stand-up. So that's a very good point, and I thank you for that. Looking sure. back, Ricky, what were some instances where you just had to pinch yourself to believe that you were standing at that moment in the presence of some outstanding celebrities. Well, well, Dale, I'm going to tell you something. And it's funny that you mentioned that because I, I always set goals for myself when I started stand up. This is what I want to do. Now, I wasn't looking to take this ride uh, further than California because you got to remember, I'm a local boy. And, and, and it became a business once you become into a 10-plus years. But one of my goals was always to work the Baltimore Civic Center. This little, something as small as the Civic Center was one of my goals. And um, that's one ride I'll never forget. I used to walk past this Civic Center every day on Baltimore Street. Look, I'm going to work this place one day. And uh, right. the, blessing, the blessing that I had I had a chance to open up for Gerald Levert before he passed away. You know, oh. it was Gerald, uh-huh. Gerald Levert, Gerald Levert, the Whispers, and the OJs was on the same card. It don't get no better than that. And I got no. a chance to meet Kathy Hughes. I met Kathy Hughes also. You know, so yeah. Um, but the, 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 that's the those are the goals. My goals was not to be the next Kevin Hart or to be the next uh, Mike Epps or none of these guys. I just wanted to make people laugh. It didn't matter where I perform, as long as I'm picking up that mic and made me feel good that I left a smile on somebody's face today, you know? Oh, absolutely. I agree because, like I said, a lot of people who are in the arts, uh, I can just remember, um, what's her name? Oh, the one that used to sing at the Red Fox Club. 
and everybody said she didn't go that far, but she could have. But some people just want to either sing or do their thing locally. And you sure. that brings to another question I had. There are sure. many notable African-American comics that have passed on, and some of them you named just prior. Can you say which you consider to have been great role models or could be looked at as great role models in this field that people who are listening who want to be a comedian to emulate? Well, you know, I'm, I'm from the old school, and, uh, and the comics that I brought up earlier with your, with your Bill Cosby, your, your Flip Wilson, yeah. uh, mm-hmm. your, George, your George Collins. I don't want to forget George Collins. Your, your, right. your Red Fox. You know, you got to yeah. remember, I came up with, um, you know, guys like Rodney Dangerfield. And I right. used to study these guys because, you know, uh, being an impressionist, I didn't uh, I didn't think out to do comedy. I was out to entertain. So that's why I learned to do impressions because everybody can't do an impression of Red Fox or Bill Cosby. And right. to, to emulate these guys, you know... I always had that in my back pocket that, you know, what would Bill do? What would Rodney do? What would Richard do? So uh, I'm basically a a basically full full, um, um, blown comic that that did the work through hard knocks, if you want to make any sense with that. You know, this wasn't school training. This is something I learned on my own and I had to get better and better because when you do it for a living, you want to make some money. <laughs> right. And so so I had to master what I've done and also had to learn the, the target of what audiences I'm going to entertain. And, and I yeah, just wanted that to marinate right there because there's so many different forms of comedy. There's black comedy and there's mainstream and now there's Christian comedy. Okay. Right. That's well, one of my to questions, to too. So yeah, we're gonna, yeah. I'm going to mm-hmm. uh, bring that up again. What you just said was just great, and I didn't mean to cut you off, but I want people to understand, because I know somebody who's a musician and he wants to get a singing group, but the singing groups of today only want to sing other people's songs. <laughs> right. They don't want right. to create their own songs, so that's a good point to actually bring forth. Don't emulate everybody else. Use them as a source of reference. But like you said, sure. you became your own. And that's what people have to realize. And when you're starting out something, you've got to make your own road. And we talked, of, and you talked about Red Fox, Slappy White, which I met. I met all of these people. George Wallace and George Collins. I love him as well. You also touched just at the end of what you just said about the old timers and doing your getting better and better so that you can go to different places and everybody recognize what you're doing. I've heard the old comics say or read it where they said they had to run the titling circuit before they even got to where they wanted to get. Does that theory hold true today in the comedy circuit? That before you can make your mark, you got to go through a whole lot of little places, or have you already done that? Well, I've been been there and done that. I mean, the basic right. chitlin circuit uh, for me in Baltimore was working little bar, little bars and little nightclubs. But the point is, I had to learn what comedy was all about. If you don't understand what comedy is all about, because so many black folk think comedy is just black comedy. No. There's two different, when I say that, yes, it is. comedy mm-hmm. is, is mainstream just as well, because black comedy could be very limited, is what I'm saying. And when you talk about going to mainstream, you just cross over. And that's where I was targeting coming out of Seattle, Washington. I was targeting as the mainstream, not black right. comedy. Exactly. You see, you saw, uh, and and I just wanted to make that clear because uh, I want to also throw this in there, which you didn't say and didn't know. I also produce comedians. That's what I do for a living. Oh. I produce and I perform. Okay. And it's, Good. it's very important that they understand the difference in black comedy and mainstream comedy. You know, 
because you can't take a black comedy show and walk in the mainstream using the language that we can use sometime, okay? They're going to run you right, right on out of there. <laughs> they're going to hit I'm the door. I'm in total agreement. Yeah. Uh-huh. I'm in total agreement because I'm an artist, but I don't let nobody tell say that I'm a black artist. I'm an artist, I'm a female artist, but I'm not a black artist because all my art is not about black art. So that's also another good point, and I'm writing that down to use again. You've got to know how to hit the mainstream because you'll have all kinds of cultures, and all cultures just don't want to hear about black comedy. So that's a very extremely important factor. What we're going to do right now is take a little station break. We will still be online, Ricky, so I'll just to let you know that. And we'll be back in 15 seconds. Let's get loose. This trick. Yeah. What up, y'all? I just came yeah. to your city to serve us up. What up? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Show me love. Hi. Uh. Hop off the plane to a new show. What up? And all the shorties, they be waiting on me. Thugs packing they pistols. But ain't nobody aiming on me. Got a pocket full of fresh dough. So you know I gotta bake it, homie. Bake it for me. And I'm thankful. Get whatever you want for something. Hi, and welcome back. This is Andale Banks, your host of Wish Upon a Star. Broadcasting on BBSRadio.com, Station One. We welcome comments and suggestions at musicradio34 at gmail.com. Once again, we welcome comments and suggestions at musicradio34 at gmail.com. And you can hear our broadcast on any of our 50 affiliate stations at bbsradio.com forward slash affiliate dash partners. And please always look for our shows. We've been online and on for five and a half years. And you can hear all our previous broadcasts in the archive link at bbsradio.com forward slash wish upon a star archives. We're going to continue with our extreme, important, funny guest, ladies and gentlemen, Ricky Shackelfield. The lecture Shackle, you. Shackleford. I mean, Shackleford. I don't know why. Okay. I'll just change your name. Ricky Shackleford. I know when everybody. I, I feel so much better. I, I didn't know who that Shackelfield was. Oh. <laughs> You know, sometimes you get used to saying something and, you, you, you know, your mind just won't even turn it around. Ladies no, and gentlemen, sir. we know him, Rico Shackleford. Let me make you laugh, fame. Continuing, Ricky, and I do apologize for that mistake. As a professional artist, we sometimes don't get the respect and money deserving of our craft. Has that improved or is it still an issue in progress needing improvement? Okay, I, I, I kind of went to sleep on that, and I apologize. Um, it's been a long morning, a day for me. And Can you repeat that again, um, Del? I just missed that. I'm, I'm sorry. Okay, I was just saying, as professional artists, we sometimes don't get the respect and money deserving of our craft. Sure. Has that improved, or is it still an issue in progress needing improvement? Yeah, you know, here's the thing, you know, what I've learned, because and I just wanted to clear this up, I don't. I wear a lot of hats in 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 my business where I produce and I perform. So okay. I've been through the highs and lows of uh, people uh, not paying you or giving you less than you're worth. Uh, I mean, because I've seen myself walk into venues and uh, you know and, and and not get paid uh, the basic the basic salary that I asked for. Um, right, but I also, I, but I also understand the highs and lows of the nightclub business. You know, being a being a CEO of my business, I, I try to read between the lines and just know when to do what. If that makes any sense, okay? Uh, sometimes you can receive a gig, and it might not be the one you want, but sometimes you take that gig because it could get you other work. So. So I don't get caught up in the money aspect. And I'll be honest with you, I have never 
been in a situation where they did not pay me. Okay. Mr. Shaka Lord don't play that. Holy don't play that. Okay. Right. So, <laughs> I, I don't play that. Listen, I, I reflect back when I was a people boy. I would go back and get my money. I don't give it 9, 30, 10 in the night. I'm getting my money. Okay. So, uh, you know, when you're self-employed like I am doing stand-up, you know, it's a grind. So you, you have to understand that, you know, every situation could be different. You know, uh, what, what I do in Las Vegas I don't do in Baltimore. It's two different, two different environments, two different um, 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 outlets alone. Baltimore is different than traveling on the road because everything is in contract uh, when you're on the road. But when you're home, you're dealing with the nickel and diamond of, of people trying True. to use and abuse yeah. you, you know? Mm-hmm. Most definitely. So, but, um, you know, but that's the joy of, of, of being in this business. That's where that passion comes in again. Because yeah. you got to know how to roll off of things and, and, and just don't make the same mistake again. That's all I'm saying. So, um, But I'm, right. I'm, I'm enjoying Go ahead, sweetie. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because what we do is, like I said, I'm an artist. We do it because we love it, you know. And then sometimes, exactly. you, you know, they act like they that we shouldn't, because we do something and you do it so well, they act like they don't need to pay. <laughs> I don't know where that comes from. I really don't. What I would say also is that we can identify with the fact that people love to laugh. And who doesn't want to laugh? You know, just to forget some personal problems, at least for an hour or so. In your opinion, Ricky, does the Mm -hmm. profane language have to play an important part in the delivery of some comedy acts? Well, once again, we, we write back at the different dynamics of comedy. That depends on your audience because every audience is different. Uh, like when I work Vegas, for example, we got like a three a three uh, foul language rule. You can't use but three 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 different um, you know uh, words of, of profanity, and if, if you do, you won't be coming back to Vegas. So right. uh, the, the the point is now when you in the chitlin circuit <laughs> and you home and if you got a very young audience and. And, um, uh, and and they're used to the profanity, you know, you can go with that. So uh, it depends on your audience is what I'm trying to say. You know, every every audience could be different. And even with mainstream, we're not even talking about Vegas. Uh, you're not going to go in mainstream with all that profanity. It's not going to happen <laughs> you, because that's, that's part of that learning curve. That's part of you doing your homework. That's part of you. Uh, continuing to work, you got to know where you at and know what to do, when to do it. You know, if that makes sense. Oh yeah, it certainly does. But I was looking; I didn't know. Like I said, I don't know anything about this particular thing for background. So I was wondering, you 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 explain part of that in Las Vegas, there are certain words and things that you can't say and do, but in the local arenas you probably could because i know i went to one comedy show and i'm not going to mention where it was and we walked out me and a couple of people we had gone down to the receiver show and the first thing the guy came out with was all this profane like we just got up and left not because we were prude or anything like that it just didn't hit you right when you came out to have a good time and the first thing you hit hit you is all this profane language. But come to find out because it wasn't funny. That's my question, yeah. really, I was saying. Yeah, is that it, one of the it, reasons they use the profane language because it really is not funny? Well, sometimes, and that depends on the years of experience. Right. One of the things, I, I'm going to defend the guy that's using language for a second because a, a good comic is, is supposed to read his audience. You can feel it. That's that passion again. You can feel it when you're going too far with the language because it's, it's what they call killing your audience, okay? Yes, You okay. don't want to kill your audience because it's hard to grab an audience back once you lose an audience, okay? Oh, so okay. When, when the, the, basic, the best basic way to come out with stand-up comedy is to come out clean. You know, you, you if you're clean, you can stay clean. But if you're dirty, it's oh. hard to go from dirty... It's hard to go from dirty to clean back to dirty, okay? Right. Because that means that that means that you know uh, this audience don't want to hear it. You can feel it because one of the things I know about this business for years of performing, your jokes should work everywhere. 
It's what you it's how you deliver your joke is what makes it funny. Okay? And profanity don't make you funny. I just wanted that to marinate a little bit. It don't make right. you funny, but but the bottom line is some comedians use it because they haven't they haven't learned the game yet. Okay? Uh, I'll guarantee you if you saw like you said, you walk out on a comic uh, this ain't the guy you're looking to hire either, and, no. uh, and a lot of that comes that comes from uh, years of experience and the wisdom of the game. If that makes sense, okay. Uh, I actually do churches too. You know, you can't go in there because there's no church. Come on, now. So, you know, and 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 basically that's part of doing your homework. When a comic hits the stage, he needs to have his homework done, knowing what he's dealing with. And when he's performing, know your audience. That's the key. There's a there's a there's an audience of a younger crowd, uh, older crowd, and there's an audience of black and white humor, which is mainstream. And then there's black comedy. If that makes sense to you. But the bottom line is, you read that why before you perform. If that makes any sense to you, you watch and you crowd. Mm-hmm. So you yeah. So you watch in your crowd. I'll do what they call a, a turn-up system, meaning if I have to turn it up and that's what they want to hear, I give them that. But I know from my years of experience, a lot of my comedy is in my energy, okay? okay. Whatever energy I brings to them, the audience is watching every move, you know? But honestly, yeah. it takes years of, years of experience to develop those little, those little niches of what to do. If, if I'm clearing up anything, you got to know what to do, when to do it. You got to know how much to bring and how much to take back. Sometimes it's just like tuning in on the radio. You turn it up, you put the treble, and you put the bass. You have to do the same thing with comedy. Turn it up, turn it down. Keep it clean, clean, clean. If you can go, you go clean. Spice it up. You can do that, but also clean it. That shows the audience that you know what you're doing, and I think. I hope that answers some of your questions you were asking me. Oh, absolutely perfect. And matter of fact, it brings up another question. And standard. like I said, you can answer as long as you want to because I don't know anything. But I will ask this. I listen to a lot of comedy comedians on YouTube. I've been a couple, to a couple of shows. Answer this, Ricky. Mm-hmm. The, comp, the comedian that you're going to go to see, you know him and you know him very well. You know what he does. Why does the audience heckle the comedian when they know what the comedian is going to really say? They know his show. He ain't never changed well, it. So why would they come, based on what you said about the profane language and the cultural uh, knocking, I have seen them get angry and heckle the comedian even though they came to the show. And some of these shows I'm talking about, those people have paid $2,000 to sit up front. So, uh well, well, here's the thing. One of the things about your your audience, let's say, let's talk about your audience. You don't know who's sitting in that audience that had a good day or a bad day. Okay. They might have just, <laughs> you might have messed up a bad day. I had one time, there's a true story. I was working in uh, New Jersey. I'll never forget it. i never forget as long as I live. And I, the feature act, he finished his set, then I came on, but this young a uh, white woman was sitting up front, and she was intoxicated. She was drunk. Oh, as simple as that. So I'm just thinking about this for a second. I'm about ready to walk on stage with somebody sitting in front of me drunk. And her mom, was, she was so incoherent, I don't even think you know what she was saying, okay? And this is a true story. I'm mm-hmm. the headliner. I walk on stage, and I, I hadn't said five seconds of words out of my mouth. I said... Ma'am, if you get in my show, I'm going to bust your booty, and I'm keeping it clean, okay? Mm-hmm. And I said that just to shut her down. See, that's a heckler that's drunk, first of all, okay? Yeah. My, my, the object of my stand-up is you're not going to steal my show. It's my show, okay? Right. It ain't going to happen. So I shut her down, but here's the long story short. The woman ended up crying in the front seat right away. I wasn't up there five seconds, but, <laughs> but what I'm saying is you don't know who's going through stuff when you're performing on that stage. Okay. okay? Mm-hmm. I always kept it in my mind to share that with people. So 
you know, sometimes even with improvisation, you got to be careful with your crowd. But Adele, uh, I, 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 I basically trained, and I worked at Ocean City as the credit scope. We were doing three shows every night. I trained to deal with hecklers. I trained when we to deal with working with working the crowd because every show is different. You can yeah. have the same material you just did last night. Might not go over the next night somewhere else you're at. You, you understand what I'm saying? Perfect. So, Perfectly. But that yeah. goes back to what my whole theme is. I just want to make you laugh. And sometimes you have, you might get an easy show. Sometimes you might have to go up there and work and earn them three dollars and fifty cents. Okay. Right. So, so I'm hoping that's answering your question that you asked me earlier. Oh, you know, absolutely. Uh, yeah, because, I, I want to just go back to your biography because I don't want to mm-hmm. skip over the wonderful things that you have done by headlining for the U.S. tour in 2002 in Saudi Arabia and Iraq and Afghanistan for our troops. I know they were just excited. Tell us about that experience. That had to be a heartfelt, I mean, benevolent experience. It had to be. Let me say this to you. Uh, with me being a military guy, uh, as my credits from 81 to 84, I, right. and, and being, being a, a African-American leaving out of the inner cities and then get going into the world of the U.S. the U.S. Army and then coming out of the Army and then getting back into comedy. See, I was in comedy before I went into the military. Right. The, mm-hmm. the, the jobs were so bad, it pushed me into the military. I said, well, this is the time for me to get away. So I get out <laughs> of the military. Right. So I get I get out of the military, get back into comedy in Seattle, Washington. That's where I got back. Get back to oh. Baltimore, mm-hmm. got a contract with one of my other com- uh, comedians' associates to do the U.S. Old Tour. And here I am, because my military career, if I told you the jokes, you'd be wondering, how did you stay in there three years? <laughs> because uh, some people are military-bound, but I was not the military-type guy. I like my swag, as we say. I like to be Ricky. I love who I am. I love that I can speak my mind. But when I got a chance to do the U.S. Old Tour, it was a privilege for me to fly to Saudi Arabia, 10 hours of flight or more, to go there and perform in front of troops of my peers. Now, I'm out of the military, but I know what those kids are going through because I was in the service. Right. Okay. that was a total honor for me, Dale, for me to for me to perform in front of people from from the East Coast, from New Jersey to Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and they loved us so. And 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 sweetie, it was so hot, there, 100, 120 degrees. I mean, you would do fifteen minutes of comedy, you're soaking wet only on fifteen minutes. Most of the I shows know. were done on swimming. So, but it was the biggest honor of my life. I cherished that. I'll never forget that. You can't take something that I've done. And the U.S. O'Toole, uh, I built relationships with comedians that before that went on that tour with us. The one just passed away, Joe Recker, big comic, uh, used to write for D.L. Hughley. And he just passed away over the last year. But I have to give oh. him some love, too, because uh-huh. we, built a, we built a bond that you would never break. You know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You can't that was break very, it. Can I get that? Mm-hmm. Very commendable. Yeah. Well, it was commendable to the fact that you served in the services, which we all appreciate and, and feel very thankful. And then to go right. back and, and for the... Well, are there any jokes in there that you can tell us now that you did in the military that probably... That we can keep on the radio... <laughs> I ain't got to worry about my mama here and joke because she's resting in peace. <laughs> but you know, I had a, I had a, I had a, um, I never wrote a lot of military jokes because I had a standard routine. But one of the things in, in the military, I had, I, I was, I was in trouble a lot. That's why that tour to the U.S. old tour was almost like a payback to tell the military, the military, how you like me now. I had yeah. no problems <laughs> in the military, but I threw it back at them. I say. I was a comic when I was in there. I was a cook in the Army. I'm not ashamed of that. People loved me when I was a cook in the Army. Because I, yeah. I would put little sayings on, on my hat. 
when they would come through the mess hall, have a good day, or don't let the don't let the, uh, the drill sergeant scare you, or anything to lighten up their day is what I'm trying exactly. to say. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm a I'm a very positive person, but my point to all that, I didn't degrade the military because the, the military changed my life. It really changed my life. It it, it gave me a chance from coming out of a, a militant state of mind, which I could have been. And it gave me, it broadened my horizon, if that makes sense, okay? Yeah. Oh, absolutely, it, it yeah. Brought, it brought it brought my horizon about getting out of the inner city and seeing the world. I've seen the yeah. world. Saudi right. Arabia, Germany, London, I've been around the world. And living on the West Coast, performing through the Midwest. But the military, is, is I have to give them their props. Don't forget where you come from, the U.S. Army. Saved my life, but I wasn't a I wasn't a bad kid. I don't want you to understand that. But it gave me a chance to grow as a person, and then there really wasn't a lot of jokes that, other than my personal life going through Article 15s. I went to about three of them, going to jail in the military. See, I didn't want to tell all that stuff. Now my mama gonna be calling me, but she in heaven, so she must not have to email me. let it out. To know that you you are still a normal person, if you can call that normal. <laughs> oh yeah, but 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 you, but you know, oh, oh you know, but you know, it's funny that you said being normal because most comics are not normal. We we want we yeah. want people to hear we want people to hear our pain sometimes. Okay, exactly. You know, right? You know, right? I I got pain that I share all the time. You know, with. With DUIs, I get DU. I got three DUIs, and I write about DUIs. <laughs> I, I, wrote, I wrote about them putting a national interlock on my car, breathalyzer. I wish I'd have had um, um, Stormy Daniels to help me clear that thing. So <laughs> that was a dirty that's, one, that's, but I slid it in. Yeah, <laughs> right. Okay, all right. Now we're going to get to the the big boy. The big thing was not everybody has this opportunity to actually headline in Las Vegas. Give us a little overview of that. That had to be something. You know, that's, that's uh, for, for, for 14 straight years, uh, going to the Edgewater Casino, that's one of my proudest moments because, you know, like okay. I talked about earlier about reaching certain goals at the Baltimore Arena, and I've always said, wow, and, and I, want, I know that I'm more of a Vegas act because, like I said, uh, I came up with Flip Wilson. I came up with George Collins, uh, Rodney Dangerfield, Richard Pryor. So right. you know, I, I do, and I do impressions of most of these guys. But I always felt that was a Vegas act, you know, to be able to sing, be able right. to do impressions, and, right. and being a total comedian, being a total Jerry Lewis, if you want to put it that way. Okay, but the Vegas thing was something that I earned coming out of um, Ocean City. I worked five years at the Princess Rail, and I got a connection to go to Vegas. My credits was already built, but it was the best feeling in the world when I hit that stage because a Vegas audience is not a regular comedy club audience. You look at no. folks that are there to gamble. They're there to gamble. Yeah. They're, they're, they're not, they're not, they ain't too much funny to them after they done lost their money. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so they, you might have so many different uh, demeanors there when you're trying to perform. But what I did very well was I impro- my improvisation, I made them forget about their problems by going right at them. I mean, I would... I would call them anything that would make them laugh because the audience is in, once, once you got them, they were very perceptive. It's not like yeah. they didn't want to laugh, but they wanted to say, can you make me laugh? Um, I think the reason why I had such a long um, journey on that is because I, I knew how to work that audience. That's where mm-hmm. all that training from, from, um, from, from, from the Princess Royale in Ocean City uh, rolled over to Vegas. I was a, I, I trained myself to be ready for Vegas, and uh, that couldn't have been a, a much better. I, I just left San Diego. Matter of fact, I did the, uh, the, 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 the I can't pronounce it right. The Pachinko's called Pachinka Casinos in San Diego. It's a it's a casino, the same as yeah. Vegas. So I had all the experience from working the 13 years, 14 in Vegas, but I love to see people such diversity in those audiences, whether they're Spanish, 
whether it is black, white, rednecks, because they was all in there. But to go right up to them, these guys, and make them laugh, make them thing. I had one woman, true story, work in Vegas. Woman just got off the hospital. She walked up to me and had me a hundred bucks. I'm like, ma'am, why are you giving me money? She said, I just, she said, I just had a stroke, and you made me laugh. I said, wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. Because one great. of the things I do, Adele, is I make myself likable. You know, yeah. don't, don't 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 judge the stand-up one performance. You have to judge it by the thirty years of experience. Exactly. And I I love people, and I I want people to laugh, but don't make me do my job. <laughs> Sometime in Vegas, you got to go there to do your job because everything is not a perceptive audience. They're they're there with their problems. They're there gambling. They're losing and. I, I, I take them away from that for one solid hour. I have never had a bad show in Vegas. Oh, that's, that's great. The, that, that's the gratitude. I know, like I you have. said, you gotta you gotta know your audience. And I know there are certain types of jokes. I mean, like we got the one-liners, they got the blonde jokes, they got the shaggy dope jokes, they got the there were three people in a bar jokes, they got marriage and sex jokes. What does each one of these jokes forms? actually deliver? Like, can you give us a blonde joke or a shaggy joke, or do you do that, or you just go ahead and tell jokes? Well, let me say this here so you can understand um, what, well, how the comedians come up with their material. Okay, when that's a good question. My, yeah. yeah that, that's basically what you're really asking me, and I'm saying right. to you, I created my material on, uh, you know, coming up out of the 60s, in the 70s with Dr. King and all the racial problems we had, a lot of my material was created from uh, the stereotypes. And I wanted to go there because I wanted to break that monotony of people thinking black people are this way and white people are that way, Spanish people are that way. But I didn't cross the line. I just hope you got that part. I didn't cross yeah. the line where I'm trying to raise a red flag up, get that brother off stage. He don't know what he's doing. I said enough to make him laugh. I know when to stop. Like something as simple as white people get up early. Black people don't get up that early. We got to be to work at 8 o'clock. We'll get up at 7.30 go, whoa, I got 15 more minutes to sleep. That didn't cross the line. You shouldn't be offended by that. You see? I'm, right. I'm writing jokes down on, on Mexicans. Somebody going to build that wall because I know I ain't building a wall. I'm telling you that now. We picked cotton, <laughs> but I ain't building a wall. <laughs> Somebody right. got to take one for the team. Now, it's, it's a general uh, uh, joke about color, but at the same time, it's to make you laugh, not to make you offended. I have not had any material that I use about race. Somebody come after me at the end of the night and go, you shouldn't have said that. Because I didn't cross uh, the line. Uh-huh. So Great. That's a, a good point. Yeah, a, a lot of my material is built on it, on, on 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 not just the stereotypes, the current events that we see. Come on now, Donald Trump. Man, you can just write material like him taking the country forward. He's right because his hair is definitely going forward, so he didn't lie. Okay, his hair is uh-huh. going forward, so he goes. He didn't lie. And I wrote a joke. I said, Donald Trump, you got to be black. You know he got some black in him. And I ain't never seen nobody lie that much. <laughs> <laughs> now, see, that's a stereotype. All black people don't lie. <laughs> I know, but it's a joke. It's a joke, too. And I, yeah. and with a black man saying that joke, why should you be offended if a black man is saying that joke? Right. Well, I know, right. We, But we can lie, too, now, okay? I didn't get in the car right. because I was a good little boy. I was a good little mm-hmm. boy, but I know how I know how to lie and cheat as a kid. You know, you know. Right. There's, there's no there's no wings on my shoulder, okay. And my my jokes are supposed to be for mature audiences anyway. Now, depending right. on your crowd, certain things I won't use. You know, but I just wrote that joke about Trump, and I just think I'm writing every day about Trump. How you know how he's. Uh, uh, having meetings with um, uh, Putin and and the boy, um, what's his name, uh, Kim Young. He said, hey, I, I can shake their Trump said, I can shake their hand in five minutes and tell them we can get along. 
course y'all can get along. Y'all both got messed up haircuts, okay? Anybody, <laughs> anybody with messed up haircuts. That's, that's like funny. That yeah, if you were the audience, that wouldn't make you laugh. That brings me to my next question, Ricky, because I got sure. several more questions that we're almost running out of time. You may have to come back. Well, I'm having fun, uh, too. Some of the young uh, comedians today that I, and I did some uh, uh, background, on background I did was just go on YouTube, and I heard that some stand-up comedy that I heard and some of their acts, that you, pro- you really needed to be up on your history, current events, social, sure. political, and romantic trends. I was very because. impressed when I listened to some of their, I mean, you, some of the stuff they were saying, I didn't even know. I thought, oh, my goodness. So how important is that for a stand-up well, well, to keep abreast of everything, well, not everything, but of the areas to create great comedy? Well, to answer your question, you know, when, you, when you're performing in front of a crowd, a good comic, should know what they want to talk about. If you got a, okay. mostly my audience is a is a mature audience. So if right. I talked about sex, if I talked about sex, you're relating because hey, yeah, I was thinking the same thing. Most time, the comedians say things that people think. We just right. say it, okay. So even if you're talking about politics, like with Trump, for example, you know, you wouldn't believe just saying the word Trump, you're gonna get their attention because they want to know what you're gonna say next, okay? Right. Okay. So that's part of the political end. So the point that you're making with what you just asked me, you have to have a little bit of knowledge of of the comedy world. And so many times I don't watch other comedians on TV, which I don't like doing, and we're thinking about the same thing. Right. And a lot of us, and I'm not talking about no amateur. I'm talking about the veterans that's been out there that understand the comedy world, that understand the well, what to talk about to make them laugh. You have to right. touch those subjects because people are waiting to hear what you think about, you know, certain subjects like sex, rock and roll, drugs, or whatever you're talking about. They want to hear your your feedback. And, and every comedian could be different, too. you got to remember that. Uh, right. Some comedians use universal humor. I want to talk about current events because... That's the era I come from. You're going to even put up or shut up. <laughs> you know? Right. Did I answer okay, your question, another... though? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, thank you, mm-hmm. because I was wondering about that, because I was really impressed. And I said, well, the thing that they're talking about, you got to really know what they're... Or you would lose the joke altogether if you didn't know what you were talking about. Another important thing I've noticed, too, which I, I don't have a personal opinion, but I have an opinion that... I think a lot of people do have. Can we identify that the progress and reactions of females in this challenging area, especially when they compete on the level of sexual and foul language in their satires? I'm, tr- I'm trying to pick out, I looked out my window behind me. We got a serious storm in where I'm at. I know you said something about the female. The female of the media. Has society really accepted them, even though they, too, use a lot of profane language and they talk about sex and and in their satires? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Society has accepted them, but you got to look at the females that broke a lot of that ice, you know. All basically going as far as back as Comedy Def Jam. Comedy Def Jam was very raunchy when it first came out, okay? I was on tour for about two years with Comedy Def Jam. Listen to some of the, even the women talk just like the men. But that's a nightclub thing. Uh, they accepted it until they hit the big time. So when you hit the big time like a Roseanne bar, let's use that for an example, you're going to be magnified everything you do because you're Roseanne bar. Now, the normal comics, like one of the hottest female comics right now is Tiffany Haddock. She's very hot. She can be a little raunchy on stage, but they expect that from her because of Oh, her she's great. Oh, gosh, she is fantastic. Yeah. But, 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 but she, she's been out there longer than people know, though, you see. She's been out there for a minute. She didn't just wake up yesterday and made it. She hasn't right. developed too much. Right. But, but they can accept it because she paid her dues and that goes back to what we talked about earlier. She knows what to do and when to do it now. Okay? Right. 
he didn't start off because even Cheryl Underwood that is on the talk right now, Cheryl was very dirty one time. Okay. Oh. You know, mm-hmm. Oh yeah. See, you got to go back and, and kind of do a little history. She was very dirty on comedy Def Jam. I mean, the stuff she said, you would have turned the channel. <laughs> okay. But but that was a part of that that Def Jam era where you could say shock comedy. It's called shock comedy, where you can say these things because that's the audience that was following you. Inner city, uh, inner city folks that smoke weed and drink on weekends and put hair weaves in their head. Nothing against that, but that's what they were talking to. So they wanted to hear that type of language. Now, it's, it's moving out now because it's getting old. You have to have yeah. a sort of clean, a clean act, females, because you don't want... You don't want to scare your audience. I don't want to jump on the homegirl Monique or love Monique, but I've seen people walk out on her, and I was right there at the Comedy Factory a couple months. He called me to come see her, but the one was very offended because she was doing material on, on, on the Bible. And I said, well, honey, she's Monique, and this ain't the Parker. She's not performing. She's just doing a routine. Now, if you want to judge her, that's on you, but she's only doing what she knows. Okay, what we're going to do right now, I don't mean to cut you off, is that we're getting ready to sign off. So what I want you to do to tell our audience, if you've got something uh, online that they can go look at, you can tell us all of that, where they can hear you, where they can come and see you, and where to actually look for you when you might be chosen. The floor is yours for exactly two and a half minutes. I got you. Basically, if you want to reach comedian Ricky Shackle for for hire, for hire, first of all, you can hit yes. me at 443-226-9157. Now, if you want to reach again. Ricky Shackleford, uh, 443-226-9157. If you want to reach and hire Ricky Shackleford, comedian, uh, I actually do mainstream churches and also do black comedy. So I work all those venues. So if you want to hire me, hit me at that phone number. Also, you can reach me on Facebook, uh, Ricky Shackleford. I always tell people, Ricky, R-I-C-K-E-Y. You put a put a, just Y, that's not Ricky. That's not spelled the way. But if you put, put my name, Ricky Shackleford, F-H-A-C-K-L-E-F-O-R-D, Shackleford, not feel. I'm loving you. That's my basic information for Facebook. I'm always posting where I'm going to perform. I'm not ahead of time. But a lot of what I'm doing also on Del is I'm, I'm, I'm also producing two shows a month here in Baltimore. Uh, matter of fact, I have a show this coming Saturday at uh, uh, Club Expectation. Like I told you, I'm bringing up up and coming new comedians. I got five new comedians on that show. And also my partner, uh, Mr. Howard G. from the Kiss My Bumper commercial. So we have a total of 10 comedians on that show. It's coming wow. Saturday, 8, 8 o'clock, 8.30. Uh, that show might be just about sold out. So coming up August the 4th, I'm right back at Expectations with three top comedians around town, hosted by m- myself uh, with Howard G. Also, I apologize, Howard G's not on that show. One of the funniest white boys in this town, Mr. Sonny Fuller, from BET's uh, Treetop is the comedian. He used to open up for Moni. He's going to be on that show. Uh, Rudy T., very funny new coming up in front of New Jack. He's going to be on that show. Susan Hawkins. And it's going to be a real solid show on August the 4th. But you can reach all that from Facebook. If you want to reach me, Hit everything on Facebook. You'll see what Ricky Shackle for it. And BWT, which is my company, businesses working together. You can hit all that from Facebook. I'm also uh, Facebook living a whole lot. Of, you'll catch me on there a lot. I'm a little tired. It's been a long day. I'm, I'm running out of air talking. <laughs> okay, thank you, because i got to sign off now. Ricky, I certainly will get back with you to, to get that information and tell people that they can find it and re. Go to the archives that can get everything that you just said. Again, thank you so much. Ladies and gentlemen, I'll be back to sign off in exactly 12 seconds.
Hi, and welcome back. This is Andale Banks, your host of Bishop Upon a Star, saying thank you so much for listening to our primetime guest today, Ricky Shackleford of Let Me Make You Last Fame. You can certainly go to the archives and listen to the entire show again. We're broadcasting on BBSRadio.com, Station One. We welcome comments and suggestions through email, musicradio34 at gmail.com. Again, we have 50 affiliate stations, and you can go to any one of those to hear our show, bbsradio.com forward slash affiliate dash partners. And again, listen to us in our previous broadcast archive link, bbsradio.com, wish upon a star forward slash archive. Thanks again for listening, and this is Andel Banks, your host, and Denise Banks, our coordinator, saying, keep reaching for the stars. Bye-bye.